start over every month on those yes. credit cards if you can. Absolutely. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm Gwendolyn Dolsky. And I'm Rudy Sallow. And this is the podcast where we learn what we didn't know we didn't know in the spirit of Socrates. Rudy, again. <laughs> <laughs> I always love hearing that. And while you were saying that, I was thinking, I wanted to ask you a question. I know this is supposed to be an intro to the show, but what did you... See, I can't even, I can't even ask you a question in you response to what you said. What did you not, what did you not know that you didn't know after conducting the interviews with Joe of the Wealth Garden Financial Services? What did you walk away from this show then knowing what you didn't know? Is that I think, saying that? I think it is. Okay. Yes. You know, it works. We'll go with it. Good. One of the ideas that I think is really interesting is the fact that talking about women in finance is a topic. That is something that I hadn't really thought about, about the kinds of impacts that finance could have or how women invest their money. And she was talking about trying to get women to invest their money more, that women have a tendency, I think she says, to think about the present, about how they're caring for people in the present instead of the future. So the fact that we're not just talking about finance, but women in finance is something that I didn't know. I didn't know it was a subtopic. And that's very cool. Something that I didn't know that I didn't know was, I don't want to give anything away, but you say something very profound on this episode. And it was one of those aha moments for me. Uh, maybe, maybe, it should, maybe it should have been obvious to like, oh, of course, Rudy. That's how media in the world has previously told women, this is what you need to invest in. Why was it so profound to you? I think it, it wasn't that it was so profound. It was just the way that you said it and your honesty. And you were so, I don't know, I guess vulnerable and just kind of laying it out there. Like, you know, you're, you're Dr. Dolsky, yet you were laying it out like, hey, I'm guilty of this. But here's one of the reasons why I think I can get better about investing. So I wanted to give you some kudos about that. That was real eye-opening. Oh, no, good. Yeah. I mean, this is an episode that is great on a couple of levels is that something we always try to do is get to the underscoring ideas that motivate somebody's work. And that's what's really great about having experts on. But we also get some really great concrete advice from Joe about finances that have to do with just in general, how to plan, why you should plan, how to budget. Yeah. So you get both. You get the ideas and you get the practical. It's like us, right? <laughs> Would you say if you could, if you can try to tie up something philosophical about this particular episode, Professor, what would it be? I think one of the biggest things when she says about respecting money, I think that's a really interesting idea because she is talking about money as energy and that it's not just about wealth. It's not just about things, but it's a way in which you perceive yourself in the world that I think is really important and what you want out of your life. So money represents that, can be part of that. It's not reducing you to money, but it's actually a way for you to live your best life. That's it's part of it. Yeah. And what do I, you think? No, I, I think that's spot on. And one thing that I I think I did a pretty decent job fleshing out in the show is seems the, we talk about the gig economy, which is something that we've frequently talked about, especially with my friend and colleague, Liz Farmer, who we will have on the show again, relatively soon about like, you know, the, the pros and cons of the gig economy and, and why it's not so bad to actually have a steady day job. And what are the benefits of that? And, and we talk a lot about 
how things really work in the United States, which it's not so much about how much money you have saved in the piggy bank, but it's really about your credit score and leveraging your credit score. There's a mindset shift that you need to take in order to truly increase your wealth. You got to think about leveraging your credit. And the only way you can leverage your credit is by actually paying off your debts. Um, Some debts, like some debts you don't want it to pay off. You know, you have to look at inflation. You got to think about the future. You got to leverage interest rates. And we talk about all of these concepts that may overwhelm people, but I think we do it in a very simple, easily digestible way that I think listeners, once they listen to this show, will want to have Joe back on. And I'm hoping she'll be a frequent guest. She's Absolutely. a good friend of mine. She's been a friend of mine for a long time. She's like a sister. Like I, I love her. And I'm, I hope the Wealth Garden Financial Services is extremely successful. I wish the best for her. And she's a good ally of the show. Yeah, no, I think that this is a great conversation. And I think that money and finances can seem really complicated and scary to people. And you're right. She has a way of breaking it down where it's very simple and it's not scary. And it actually makes you excited about the possibility of your future or planning for your future. Okay, let's talk women and finance. We're not only talking about finance with just some random person. We're talking with somebody who's near and dear to my heart, somebody that I've known for well over a decade, who, Gwen, maybe we can get into the story of this later on. She might also be responsible for Kate and I getting together. And oh. Maybe, and I'd love to, I, I don't, I'm not going to tell the story. A romantic I, 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 twist to this episode. Oh, I, I did not see story. that coming. And Gwen, it involves my hair, which is a frequent topic on this <laughs> podcast. So it, we're, we are on brand with, with everything. But today we're talking to my dear friend, Josephine Cruz, and she's going to talk about her, I guess it's a new business, Joe, or you speak of whatever you want to speak of about your new path and why you've come on to this podcast again. You were on a previous episode when we were talking about From We to Me, and that was great. We had a financial component to that episode. But now we're going to really talk about finances, and in particular, about how women approach finances. So Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself, your business, and why you came back to the show. I am Josephi Cruz, and I am the co-founder of the Wealth Garden Financial Services, which is an RIA, an investment firm. Uh, investment and financial planning firm located in Los Angeles. The firm is fairly new. It's about less than a year old, but I have been in the business for, I believe, 23 years now. So it was just that time to start out on my own. And what I do is I work with clients to get them financially fit. I like to say that. And our motto is financial care for the rest of your life. So we're there to take care of you, take that stress out of your finances and taking care of that with you as a partner instead of for you, with you, so that you can focus on other things that give you joy. Joe, a couple of questions there. We talk about fitness a lot on this show. We've had fitness gurus on this, Uh but like real fitness professionals about how important that is. Do you talk about that with your clients about how, hey, look, you should take care of yourself fitness wise. You should, it's something, your health, it's something that you should take care of and monitor on a daily basis. So when clients come to you and they say, you know, I don't look at this as, as a daily basis or how should I be changing my thinking? Do you kind of tie it to like a health type fitness type thing? I mean, in a way, I think it, I guess it depends on each person's situation, but I, I recently started working with a couple, for example, 
we've just been analyzing their habits and their beliefs around money in order to help them change what they do with their money and increase their savings and investments, but in a way that they're not going to drop it, right? So just like with exercise, you can't just go into some crazy routine that you know you're not going to be able to handle and stick with. It needs, you almost need to trick yourself into like a gentler approach where, okay, over time you're going to do more and more and more, but it has to be attainable so that you don't feel like you're constantly failing. Something you just said right there that I thought was interesting, beliefs about money. So what are some beliefs about money that we should be aware of? Again, depending on how people were raised, I think it can create a lot of insecurity. People can have insecurity and they can create security from it and use it as a security blanket, especially with women. I feel like there's a lot of insecurity there, even in their relationships. So I guess historically in heterosexual relationships, typically the man makes more than the woman. And sometimes that could cause an insecurity that the partnership is not equal. So just things like that. The couple I was just talking about, she said she had lots of money and security just from the way she grew up and the way her family dealt with money. She just felt like it was never going to be there for her and she was never taught how to respect it and to save it. So let me, let me tease that out. What does it mean to respect it? I think just to, I guess, know that it's there and it can help you and make your, your life feel better and more comfortable, but then it can also harm you. Rudy, maybe I don't know, you can chime in with this, but I think a lot of friends that we had mutually were never taught about credit. So you start in college, you get attacked by all these credit card companies when you're walking to and from your classes and you think it's free money. You start charging up all your credit cards without realizing you have to pay it. And then all of a sudden you've ruined your credit and you've disrespected your money and that power, that money and that credit can bring. And now it's been taken away from you. Now you don't have credit. And now, I know years later, people have trouble buying cars or buying houses because their credit's ruined because they disrespected their money earlier on, but maybe nobody taught them about it either. When you talk about respecting money, you get, we, I guess we have to divorce ourselves just from the dollar bill, right? Here uh-huh. in the United States, the primary way to you know, do, do anything, literally anything, it's really not so much about the dollar that you have in the bank. It all comes down to your credit score. That's how we do things. In overseas, you know, in other countries, although they're, they're starting to learn the way, whether it's good or bad, the, the way that U.S. does finances. Overseas, it used to be nobody really does bank loans. Nobody really does credit. It's all a cash-based system. First two weeks of college, I go to college and then some, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker, right? I'm a freshman. I'm walking down the little pathway. There's some, uh, some, some bank said, hey, you know, would you like to borrow up to $2,500? You know, no problem at all. Just come over here, sign up for this Free credit t-shirt. card. Free t-shirt. <laughs> it was probably a cool t-shirt. I loved t-shirts back then. Mm-hmm. I signed up for something. I got some credit card and I borrowed and, you know, was paying ridiculous amounts of it just because that's, that's how they get you, right? They get you, they get these college students, they charge you the maximum amount of interest right before the, the usury rate, whatever that is. Every state has a maximum interest rate that they could charge an individual. If you don't repay the full amount by the end of the month, you're paying 18, 19, 20, 25, 30% every single month. I didn't really care. I was just like, oh, I'll just make that small payment. Didn't think about it in the long term. And I didn't think about my credit score. That truly, I mean, here in the United States, the way to get ahead is to have excellent credit. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's the way, that's the only way you're going to be able to buy a house unless you buy a house with all cash. And it's the only way you're really going to 
like invest is by being able to have excellent credit, being able to have a good paycheck to leverage yourself. And it's an interesting story. Two years later, I started getting notices from this credit card that, uh, I mean, I was making my payments every month, but I think my dad, you know, about, you know, Middle Eastern parents, if I live in their house, they're going to open up my mail. They open up my mail. My dad found out I had a credit card. It was one of the worst fights I had ever had with my father. He exploded. I mean, all he did was yell at me and scream at me and tell me about how I was ruining my credit and ruining my life. I didn't learn it. And I thought right then and there, what a horrible way to teach me credit is by yelling and screaming at me and putting the fear of God into me instead of sitting down and explaining how this will do stuff. So I swore then when I was like 19, I would never do that with my children. I plan on teaching them early on in life about the dangers and and benefits of credit should you have good credit. And so it's, it's like, so... Going back to the very beginning, respect for money is, a, is a, more of a holistic picture. Money is one component of your overall financial well-being, but the, one of the bigger components of it is credit because in, in the United States, it's actually all about how much you can borrow, how much you can leverage from that borrowing in order to truly start to amass wealth. I mean, there's two ways to become wealthy, right? You can, you can just amass a whole bunch of cash and, and put it into a bank account and earn negative in, in yeah. Rates on it because of inflation. I think that's what I don't. I actually don't think that is a way to get wealthy, but that's what people traditionally think about. Right in their mattress. Yeah. Right. To put it in their mattress, or you can have excellent credit, become financially more intelligent, learn about leveraging the bank's cash or some other types of ways of of borrowing and and you know investing into real estate or other types of vehicles. That's what I think you meant about learn to respect money. It's more of a holistic picture. Money is just one component. Credit is really the bigger picture. Right. As the non-finance person here, I'll just throw out that I think one way to respect money is to respect what you own. So it doesn't matter if you're in university and it's a small dorm room, keep it clean. You know, take care of your books, go to the classes that you've paid for. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the ways to respect it is to appreciate what it is that you have. You know, on days you don't feel like doing laundry, be thankful that you've got a bundle of clothes to wash. Take care of your car, take care of, you know, your floors. When you're buying groceries, eat what you have in the fridge. And that is one way to, I think, instill the respect for what you own and to have a gratitude for it. And then it'll make you respect also the potential that other money can bring in. Mm-hmm. Rudy, whatever. Was that too philosophy for you? <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it, it is. I, it's just, I, I'm, if you ever look at my car, like my, my car is, is a mess because I don't really drive it, right? I, all I do is walk or take some other mo- mode of transportation. Could I treat cars better? Yeah, I probably can. I take care of, of things, I suppose. I never really associate money with things, which maybe I that's see. bad. Okay. I, I'm not a person that, that likes to attach myself to objects, right? Mm-hmm. I just don't. I'm always thinking about the future. I'm always thinking about assets. I'm always thinking about how I can continue to become even more financially stable and, and set my children up properly and how to educate them. I mean, something that I, you and I talk about, you and I both like real estate. Like mm-hmm. We just do. We, we love to study it. We love to learn more about it. You, I think you and I both believe that that really is one of the best tried, truest ways to amass wealth and stability. And it's something to pass along to your children. And, you know, when it comes to real estate, I'm, I'm, I'm all about taking care of it, Gwen. And especially with if you're lucky enough to have tenants and if you take care of a property and show that you really care about a property, hopefully your tenants will as well. And 
Mm-hmm. Yes. So I do agree with you, Gwen. I guess I like to take what you say and it, trying to attach it to real estate more. What are your thoughts? Well, I guess what I'm hearing from both of you are there's two things to think about on an ongoing basis when it comes to money, finances, saving, and investing. There's the day-to-day and there's the future, right? So Gwen, I think you were talking about the day-to-day and when I heard you going through that list, it was making me think, okay, gratitude, eating what, you know, grateful for the food you have and the things that you have. I think that has to do with budgeting in a way, right? You're not going to just frivolous. Well, part of, I guess, what I'm doing with helping this couple is coming up with a budget and not just wasting money. So if you're going to buy food, you're going to be grateful for that food and you're going to eat it. <laughs> if you're going to buy clothes, it's because you need clothes. If you're going to go on a trip, You're going to budget it out because you're grateful to take that trip, but you want to be able to take trips in the future. So I can see what you're saying in terms of that gratitude and making sure that you understand what you have in front of you and you take advantage of what you have. And then Rudy, same with you. You got to take some of that money or finances or credit, however you want to define it, right? And you got to you got to plan for the future, make it grow for the future so that all the work that you're putting into making money from your job grows in the future so that someday you don't have to have a job and you can retire. That's it. Having a job and having that paycheck and having that stability, right, of years of employment and you know, you're getting paid X amount, that's great. It's fantastic. But it could be used for other things. You know, banks would like to see employment history. Banks like to see that you're you're getting increases over a certain number of years, and they will lend to you to purchase a house, to purchase an investment property. The thinking about that date, everybody these days, Joe, seems to be like, oh, I just want to be an entrepreneur, and I just want to, you know, be a nomad and run around, and, you know, I'll make millions of dollars someday, And, and you probably will. There is nothing wrong with having a day job and leveraging that salary and leveraging that employment history to maybe someday becoming an entrepreneur as well. I'm curious, how do you talk to people that kind of conflate or mix up like, oh man, I I don't really want to have a day job or a real job. That's going to tie me down. That's going to chain me down. Do you explain to them that, well, actually, you know, having a day job and having a good employment history and a salary history could be the key for you to unlock truly being able to break away. If you do come across people like that, how do you explain it to them? I think I try to instill that in my kids. And actually with my clients who have children that were ready to graduate from high school or college, it's like, you need to talk to them that you have to be able to support yourself and support yourself for the future, not just for today so that you could feed yourself this week so that you could do fun things next week. It's like you have to support yourself and not rely on your parents or other people to get you going. So for most people, That is going to be a day job because you need stability to make sure that you can support yourself and not rely on others to help let you live. And then as you have that day job, you can work on your business venture. And if that becomes something where that could be your day job, because I don't think it's an either or, I guess I'm being an entrepreneur right now, but I worked hard over years to be able to make sure that it's not a gig. This is my job. This is my career. And now it's my day job. But it also means that I'm able to support myself today and in the future. Do you advise a lot of gig workers? If you do, that's great. I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to crap on gig workers. I'm not trying to crap on the gig economy. It is what it is. The danger here is a little bit with the gig economy, I think, is well, I'm just gonna do, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I'll do these three or four different things and I'll be the independent contractor. I'll do my real business at night rather than having that day job. I mean, 
it seems to me that having a day job, and you go, go, go open up the newspapers about how all the employment um, numbers and how people don't want to be employed. I mean, there's a host of issues yeah. there, but a lot of people are like, I'm just going to be a gig worker or an independent contractor. And it seems like having the day job and paycheck, it's like so negative these days. And if there's one thing that I would love to get out of this podcast is I think people need to rethink that. Having a day job can lead to financial freedom and other types yeah. of freedom as well. I do wonder if the way companies are trying to pivot post-pandemic may help gig workers be more accepting of a day job. If perhaps a traditional day job, they could do that from home, that could feel more gig-like and more flexible. I'm wondering if that could help. But yeah, it's extremely important. You need stability. You need to be, have a way to pay taxes. I know Social Security is a whole nother can of worms, but to pay into that and save for retirement, which I don't know that the gig economy necessarily thinks about because it's always about today. And, you know, again, I love the idea of taking advantage of today and taking advantage of the moment, but there needs to be something carved out for the future too, because someday the gig economy is going to be 80 years old. And they're just not going to have enough energy to keep doing gigs to support their lifestyle. So there has to be something there saved up for them when they're too old to do those gigs. When you are counseling people, what is a really tough habit that you found for people to break in order for them to achieve this? Uh, signing up for store credit cards. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I feel like- um, you know, I did that in college. I think I had like a, a the limited or something like that or a Victoria's mm -hmm. Secret credit card. And I mean, I got rid of it, but yeah, when you're at the store and they say, oh, you get 10% off if you sign up and get this card. And it's such a bad idea because the rates are so high. But I was like, Rudy, and you know, in college, I went, it sounded like a good idea. Here's the thing about credit cards, really quick. Right? <laughs> They're actually great. They're absolutely great. If you pay off every single penny at the end of the month. Yeah. Credit cards, right. they've got great point programs. There's hotel credit cards. There's airline head credit cards. You absolutely, as an adult, need to have multiple credit cards. I love credit cards. Credit cards. Yeah, yeah, me too. I love them. I love them. Especially but, if you can work the system and like squeeze all those benefits out. But just like anything else, it's a strategy, right? But if you get absolutely. kind of lured in with these short-term- store ones. 10%, you know, whatever. And then you forget about it and you don't pay it. You know, I saw, I think I was watching maybe a finance thing. I'm wondering if it was an Oprah show or something where the guest said, you can call the credit card company and ask for a better rate. And I was like, really? You know, so many people were surprised and I did that and I got a lower rate. I didn't know it was that simple. So that's a good step for people listening. Go ahead and call the credit card company and ask for a lower rate. One of the greatest investments I ever made was via a credit card was after I had graduated undergrad and I still... <laughs> Funny. I still had that crappy credit card from college that my dad yelled at me about, but I did start to pay it down. You know, I had like multiple gigs in college. So I graduated from college and I wound up not going immediately into law school after undergrad. And, and I went and I, on that same credit card, I put, it was like $2,000. I put an LSAT preparation course on that credit card. And I'll tell you, I didn't have $2,000 to pay that back, but that was one of the, the greatest investments I've ever made in my entire life was based off of a credit card because my parents wouldn't give me the money and you know banks aren't going to lend to me. I just graduated mm -hmm. from college. I barely had a job. I paid that off over that year between undergrad and, and college. So like it, you do, it's, it just goes back to what I was saying before. Credit is a very, very important thing that you need to respect and use wisely in your life, especially if you're going to try to better yourself, i.e. in education or 
maybe there's a great, you know, opportunity to go in on something. So it's like, I'm not trying to crap on credit, but basically the rule of thumb is try to pay it off every single month or try to negotiate down. You know, some, some credit card companies have like 0% rates for like 18 to 24 months. You might be able to negotiate those where you will not actually get charged finance charges for, mm-hmm. for a long period of time. So just be smart about it. Try to plan out when you're going to be able to pay everything back. I mean, with the couple I'm working with, I had them plot it on a spreadsheet. They probably had 20 different lines of credit, most of which were from stores. Wow. And we ranked them from highest interest rate to lowest interest rate just to have, help them prioritize. Like, okay, if I have extra money this month, where am I going to put that extra money to pay down that credit? And that's not the way they had been looking at it previously. So if you have a 25% credit card, um, you're going to try to pay that one more aggressively than the 0% credit card. And that's respect. You see, and Gwen, that ties into what you were saying about taking care of your things, you know, whether that's eat your food or take care of your stuff. In my opinion, the top line is what's the highest interest rate I'm paying and pay that off first. That basically is it. Truly know all the interest rates that you're paying, whether that's student debt, housing. I'm going I'm to put housing aside for another topic because I, I do think that the way that the world is going, I'm not convinced that any housing debt should be paid off early these days, especially. Uh, let's talk about that next, actually. Yeah, we, yeah. we should. But, the, but one of the best ways that you can truly take care of yourself and your future is to know to the exact basis point what you are paying in interest on anything else that's out there. Okay, Joe, how, what do you want to talk about the, with the repaying back of homes and stuff? So I've had many other clients, right, that I work with say, oh, you know, I have this surplus, you know, from the pandemic, I've had my savings swell up. I'm thinking of just paying down my mortgage. Should I pay down my mortgage or should I do something else with it? Should I invest? Many people's mortgages these days are below 3%, sometimes 2%, and that's almost free money, right? So those are the types of loans where if you're able to invest and you have any kind of risk tolerance at all to invest, you should try to invest because it's not super hard to make, let's say, 5% most years, um, not taking a lot of risk in the stock market versus paying down a debt that's 3%. So if your loan is 3%, but you can make 5% investing over here, then you're making a 2% net profit. But people don't really think about that. They don't like seeing that they have a loan, a large mortgage balance. But when you put it that way, I tell them, it's like, okay, put your extra money here, make the 5% and then take out that extra 2% every year if you really feel like it and then pay down that mortgage. But don't waste that opportunity to make your money grow um, because this money right now, is be- this loan, this mortgage that you have is being almost given away to you. Same yeah, with I think, car loans. Yeah, same thing with car loans. I mean, I think another way to think about it, I mean, your, your way is an excellent way of thinking about it, but I think a, another way of thinking about it is, okay, go ahead, pay down, take that extra cash and pay down that home. Then you own your home free and clear earlier. Maybe you own it free and clear five years earlier or 10 years earlier or 15 years earlier or 20 years earlier. But what do you think the cost of housing is going to do over the next five to 10 to 20 to 15 years. Yes, we've had dips, 2008, 1990. But at that point, once you paid off your own home and then you turn around and say, well, I'm going to go look at an investment property right now. Well, gee, look how much more expensive the investment properties are when you're going to look at them in five, 10, 15, 20 years versus when you had that chunk of cash that you could have put down into an investment property. That's another way that I like to think about it. Do you think that's crazy, Joe? No. I think with investment properties, 
as with many types of investments, I think people really need to do a lot of research before they delve into that side of the investing world. So I feel like for people that love or start going into investment properties, they shop with their heart like they do with their primary homes. And that's not always the way to go about it. So I would say, yes, investment properties are an interesting way to potentially grow money instead of just paying down your house, but they need to tread carefully. How much money should somebody be paying for a financial advisor or financial planner? What is, what is a reasonable? Not enough, according to Joe, right, Joe? No, I, I, I said it <laughs> no, for you. No, I'm really, like I'm really curious because I think, <laughs> well, because, well, lawyers are, lawyers, lawyers. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> well, I, no, I was just thinking of, um, I made a note here of what are some things that hold people back? And I think because just as we've established, even when you're in your first year of university, there's still this financial illiteracy and you really do need to go seek out an expert and people might be afraid of, oh, I'm going to make, how am I going to learn to invest more money, but I have to pay somebody to teach me. And I've read that that's actually one of the best investments is to have a good financial planner. So I was just wondering, what is it when somebody thinks, okay, I do want to get into investing. I want to be smart about my money. What should they expect that to pay for somebody to assist with that? So there's a couple of things I want to touch on here. To the annoyance of my prior firm, I always gave this very simple analogy for clients, particularly clients with children too. What is it about not wanting to pay a babysitter for your money? You, you take great care in paying for a babysitter or a nanny for your children, but here you are with all this money and you can't spend a little bit to make sure that it's taken care of the right way, right? Mm-hmm. I think it is a good investment in your investments to find a babysitter to kind of help you manage your money and make it better, especially if you're not going to do it yourself. So another analogy I use is, yes, there are some people out there perfectly capable of doing it themselves, but you have to also ask your question, uh, a question to yourself, do you want to do it? So most people have their own careers, their own hobbies, their own interests. Are they going to actually take the time and the hours to take care of their own money. It's not rocket science. I'm not gonna pretend that what I do is not something that others can learn to do for themselves, but it's, it's whether you're gonna do it or not. So some people hire a housekeeper because yes, it's not rocket science to clean your home, but are you gonna actually stop and do it yourself, you know, religiously every week or every month? And some people will say, no, I'm gonna hire a housekeeper. So it's the same thing. Yeah, I, and you have more resources that way. No, so, I, I think it makes perfect sense. I wanna get into this topic of, the fact that there's even a subtopic of women in finances, I think mm-hmm. just speaks volumes. It's not just finances. I think historically it's just implied, you know, men, um, that that's a masculine and endeavor. And because it's only recently in history where women have had control over finances or you've had more women who are um, single or divorced or whatnot, more women in careers, that there is such a thing as women in finances. So what makes that topic special as opposed to just finances, that subtopic, women and finances? I think it brings financial security. Well, finance, money, right? Again, generically, I use that word money. I do feel brings women a sense of security and sometimes a sense of power, right? Oh, I can be independent. I don't need somebody else. If I can take care of my own finances, I can be independent and take care of myself and my family. And I think traditionally in the past, money was typically made, you know, by the husband. But now, because women are having their own careers and not needing to get married necessarily, right? 
being able to take care of their finances themselves gives them a sense of power and independence and not having to need others. So I think it's really important that I keep going back to the same couple. They're actually a lesbian couple. And one of them used to be married to a man and she does have kids, but they are really trying to gain power instead of anxiety and insecurity from their money. So that's, we've been working on these different habits again, to just help them think in a more positive light instead of a negative light. Like, oh, we're always poor. It's like, no, we're saving and we're going to grow and it's going to be better for us in the future. Just changing the mindset even. Generally speaking, is there a different way that women spend money or the, a different way that they invest money? I've heard that in recessions that women actually do better because they're less risky with their investments. I think women don't invest enough. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're the cash hoarders because I think women traditionally think more about the everyday. So taking care of everyone right now versus looking towards the future. Some of their money goes into themselves as opposed to a future. Um, I'm not anti way. I want to be very careful how I say this because I'm not outside of this, but uh, we still have this idea of a woman's worth in that she's not supposed to age. She's supposed to perpetually look like she's in her 20s. That costs a lot of money. And that actually robs somebody of their financial freedom because the illusion is that it's powerful if you continually look in your 20s when actually all that money that is spent in an investment would be more power and more independence, not having to ask anybody for money or anything like that. And um, it just seems like, you know, trying to defy aging, just trying to define that, that women try to do at a different level than men do, that that robs them of so much power, but it's sold as though it's giving you power. And again, I would be very careful like I get Botox. I know Rudy, you're shocked. Um, I get my hair colored so I don't have all the grays. Like I do. So I'm, I, and I swear, like if I go into a store, I mean, I go right for all the creams and I'm just like lathering them on to get rid of the wrinkles and all the sunscreen and all that stuff. So I'm not outside of it, but I do think that that is something that disempowers women. But what I think is interesting is that all the advertisements make it sound like that is what makes you powerful. I think that goes back to a budget again. I don't think it's wrong or putting women at a disadvantage to to want to do that stuff because I think men have plenty of stuff that they throw their money at too. Gadgets, whatever it is. Yeah, gadgets. Um, yeah, there, there's a man right here if you guys want to ask a question. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, I, it's almost as if no. you guys were looking around for like, uh, if only we had a man here to, to speak to no, someone. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right. Again, it's this but this idea of a budget. It's like, well, maybe I kind of cut on the experimentation for a little bit. Like maybe not buy as many five creams to experiment with this <laughs> month. Maybe we we stick with what I need for this mm-hmm. month because I'm outside of my budget already. Just really quick, I do think that there is Gwen, traditionally, I think you're absolutely right that there, it's very, very clear that that is the way things were wrapped up for women. And, and they, that obviously has had a profound impact on the way that they perhaps think about money or their investment and stuff. But I do think that, that there is a shift. I mean, I think there's an importance of, for men to care about their looks these days as well. I mean, keeping their hair or, you know, you, you have no idea how many times people tell me to keep shaving my beard because my grays are showing. And, and these are from like, you know, like my, like my dad and like my godfather. I mean, these are like old Middle Eastern Arabic men who aren't supposed to care about the way you look, but they make fun of the way I look and trying to make me to look young too. Like, I think there is a shift there and men taking care, better care of their bodies and putting on creams and, and, and stuff. So you, you guys have affected us too. So it's not just women. I mean, I think mm-hmm. men think and spend a lot of money on that as well. 
have been seeing more celebrity male celebrities have too much plastic surgery. So I mean, just to an extreme, like it, yes, I, I guess you're right. Like men are starting to be more conscious about their appearance. Yeah, you were going to say something else, Joe, before I interrupted and tried to you know st- stick up for for uh, us vain vain men out there. Oh, I just wanted to go back to one's question about what's a reasonable amount to pay or what 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 should people expect. I, I think these days there's two different types of fee schedules that I see that have become popular for for clients. For people that already have a certain amount of investments that they'd like help with to grow, you can pay using a, a percentage of assets under management. So for example, you have 500,000, maybe you pay you know, 1.1% or a little bit more than that per year to the person that's helping you, the financial planner or fin- financial advisor that's helping you. So percentage of assets under management. You have them babysit, $500,000, a million dollars, and you pay a, a percent, you know, a percentage of that every year to that advisor to help you. And in return, they're going to invest that money for you, talk to you about your ongoing risk tolerance, do ongoing financial planning. So that is a big, I guess, phrase, but that could be anything that includes daily budgeting. So looking at your expenses, analyzing your incomes talking about future income needs, incapacity and disability planning. So what happens to me and my family if I get hit by a car and I'm not dead, but I can't bring in the bacon every month? So what, what's the plan for that? So that's not just for older folks, that's for everybody. And then something called the estate planning. So if, you know, whether I die today or if I die in my 90s, what's going to happen to the savings I've created for myself? Is it set up right now where it's going to automatically go to my kids? Or is it not set up at all where it's going to go for the courts to decide? Things like that. That fee should pay for all those types of things. And then I would say for people that are just starting, getting started with saving and investing, let's say they don't have much to invest right now where they can't really pay a percentage of assets under management. They can pay typically like an annual fee. So they can pay a fee just for the financial plan. And then maybe that comes with X number of meetings per year. And that could be, I don't want to say it's subscription basis because that's not the word we should be using, but it could be something that's paid quarterly and it could be one-time thing, or it could be annually where you you do it on an ongoing basis. And then eventually when you've saved enough, then you could switch that fee schedule where you're paying that percentage of assets under management. And I would say a reasonable amount is probably depending on where you you live a little bit too. But I would say 1.5% for assets under management to me is on the high side, although it's still legal. If somebody has a lot of debt, then how much money should they put to the side for saving? If they need to get, like, if they need to get credit card debt down and they might be thinking, how can I save or put in a retirement? I have to pay this credit card. So how do you prioritize that or negotiate that? It depends, but I think we look at what the income is per month, right? So we come up with the pot of money that we're working with every month to see if maybe we can increase the retire- automated retirement savings to that person's employee retirement savings plan, like a 401k or 403b, just so it's automated and you know you never see it in the bank. So I think it's a lot easier for people to save if they never see it in their bank account. Maybe just trying to increase that by a little bit. And then let's say people don't have any savings at all, taking just a little bit and adding to that savings account every month and then taking the bulk of it and putting it into their debts. 
well, of course, and budgeting for whatever they need for that month. Hey, Joe, for, we, we have a decent amount of college-age students um, yep. listening to the show and, or people just their head out of college. Mm-hmm. What's the easiest way for them to start? Obviously, they need to learn about investing, right? I mean, taking a good business class, taking a good finance class, maybe even taking a tax class while they're in college is great. But if they, let's say they had a job or had a couple hundred dollars a month that they wanted to start to put aside in an investment account, where would you send them to? Personally, well, I think there's other companies that have become popular lately, but I go for the companies that make it easy, right? So I always think of Schwab and Fidelity. It's just easy technology, easy to log in, easy to attach to your checking account um, and easy to trade. You don't want to use a company that has a crappy website. And I know that Robinhood has become more popular lately, but I, I don't know much about it. That's you, what I was thinking of because the whole GameStop thing. Oh, I'm sorry, Rudy. I was going to start talking about meme stocks. No, perfect. Oh, yeah. I was thinking that the younger generation might have a harder time believing that investment is a good idea because we've had two major recessions. And then when you have the GameStop phenomenon of just superficially driving up this stock price, that it made people really believe that the system is rigged and that there is no point. So I think that there's like almost an emotional hurdle to get over for people to invest who have really just known two major recessions in their life and that housing prices have gone up, university tuition has gone up, but wages haven't gone up. You know, it's more and more difficult to be a first-time buyer for a home. How to convince people that the future is something they should plan for because you can't see it. And so it's just so, I would imagine that that would be really difficult. So I, I think for people that aren't used to investing, what many of them don't know that when you have a risk, if you're invested properly, your money can go down for a period of time, like during these recessions, and then they pop back up and they go up higher. If you leave it alone, and again, it's if it's invested the right way, it ends up growing larger than where it started before the recession. Investments in general take patience, and the GameStop thing is not an investment, but I was just straight up gambling. And, you know, for many people, just not understanding the way investments work. I want to be clear, that was not an investment. That's just like a different way of going to Vegas. (laughs) And for people that are just getting started, again, it just goes back to the budget, right? So when I got started, when I didn't know anything, and I wanted to start investing and stuff, I gave myself a budget. And we live in Los Angeles. And just like lots of college kids in Los Angeles. They love going to Vegas for the weekend with their friends or in your in your early 20s. And my budget for each stock that I bought was how much would I spend on a weekend in Vegas and how much could I afford to lose where maybe it would be annoying, but it would not be life-changing. So at the oh. time, in my when I was 22, I think, I think each stock that I bought, I think I spent $300 because at the time, that's how much I would spend on a weekend in Vegas and that I was willing to lose. It's like, okay, if I lose 300 bucks on a stock, it's all good. It would suck, but it would not hurt me in any way. It would just, you know, and if it grew, then great, I'd be happy. And, you know, eventually that budget grew, right? So now it's not $300 anymore, but it's certainly not my life savings. Like what, unfortunately, a lot of people did with GameStop and AMC is like, let me put in my life savings and hopefully it'll double by tomorrow. It's like, no, that's really not the way to do it. I mean, the scary thing I think about some of those, GameStop, uh, AMC, 
FTC, even some some cryptocurrency, you know, the doggy coin, um, if you've been following cryptocurrency or Elon Musk. I like cryptocurrency. I do. I've, I've been following it and watching it for years. I do think it is the future. Blockchain itself is the future. Whether or not which coin is going to win or right. is going to unseat the almighty dollar. I mean, go down that path if you want to. I do think you need to... I, my personal opinion, I think you should be have a little bit of exposure in cryptocurrency just in case. Just like people, you know, used to have a little bit of gold to hedge against inflation just in case. I think crypto is going to be that same way. Unfortunately, or fortunately for those people, some people did double, triple, quadruple, became millionaires overnight with those stocks. And now- They did, but did they pull out? <laughs> That's really the question. It all comes down to the buying, the selling. I mean, knowing you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. It's gambling. Walk away from the table when you're up. That's right. That is the hardest thing on earth to do is to walk away from the table when you're up. Trust me. So it's like, if that's the way, if that's their first exposure to investment because they were young, they might be set up for a lifetime of disaster. Don't you think, Joe? Yes. And I would say the vast majority didn't know when to get out, right? So some of them were lucky. They got in early and they did get out and they're thinking they're lucky stars. Many more people got in when it was high already. Like, oh, maybe I really need to jump in on this. And then the second they put their money in and bombed. And then that was that. Yeah, that's the that's the danger of all uh, of those bubbles or those, you know, meme stocks or any of those, you know, trends. It's, it really is. You got to check yourself. You got to see what your personal risk tolerance is. Are you spending money that you actually need to pay, you know, for the most important bills, which is your home bill and your student loan debt, which, which as of right now is the one thing that can't get forgiven in bankruptcy. If you have a little money on the side and if you, you know, you were bored during the pandemic and you wanted to gamble a little bit, Hey, whatever, that's fine. You know, as long as it's something that you know, can turn to zero. I mean, that's my approach for any of those crazy things that are out there. I have, a girlfriend, I have a girlfriend that was messing around with AMC, right? She's like, should I do this, Joe? Should I not? I was like, look, nothing wrong with it. If you want to put a little money into it, because it's fun. It's really exciting. I was like, you're paying for entertainment too, right? Because you're going to watch it for the next few days and it's going to give you heart palpitations and it's super fun. It's like, don't put more than X. So I, I told her the same spiel. You know, you got to figure out an amount where if you lose it, it'll be annoying, but it's not a big deal. So that's exactly what she did. And I was like, I'm all for it. It's fun. Just don't put in what you actually need for yourself because it's gambling. It is gambling. I mean, it, it, that 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 is gambling. Like everyone says, oh, the, all the stock market is gambling or all of this is in gambling. No, it's not. Investing is not, not gambling. If mm-hmm. Sure, certain components of it can be gambling. Just like life can be gambling. You know, going uh, bungee cord jumping or doing something crazy is gambling with your life. I mean, it, it's all different you know, facets and everything. Joe, this was great. And you know, we're coming up on an, an hour here. I just have two follow-up questions for you. Uh, how did you come up with the, to, for the name of that business, number one? And number two, thing. How, it's a good name. It is a good name, isn't it? Oh, Joe, wow. will have, Joe will have to tell that story. And number two, how are you in a way responsible for my wife and I still being married to this day? I was working with this trademark attorney on some names for our company, and we just couldn't figure out anything that would get through the trademarking process. And lo and behold, Rudy came up with the Wealth Garden. Um, oh, you yeah. did, Rudy? Way to put that question in there. Oh, I yeah. should have known. I should have known better. No lawyer asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. Oh, <laughs> my God. Uh, I'm tr- that's exactly right. Very good. Never, never ask a question as a lawyer unless you know the answer to it, number but one. I, number, number two, 
I'm just trying to prove to everybody that I'm actually a marketing genius. <laughs> it, was, it, was pretty, it was pretty good because if you think about it, right, a garden needs to be nurtured and taken care of for it to grow and flourish. So does your money. Rudy. And if you neglect it, you neglect the garden, you neglect your money, it shrivels away. That's mm-hmm. very true. And then question number two, Joe. <laughs> I'm excited for this. So Rudy flew out, I guess you had been emailing with this person that would become your wife. I don't remember how you two got acquainted, but you had never met her and you decided you were going to fly to New York to meet her because she was in medical school or residency in New York. Residency. Yep. He stayed with me and my ex-husband and he needed advice on how to get ready for his first date. So at the time he really loved that crunchy pompadour look. (laughs) (laughs) And I encouraged him and told him that women love to run their hands through men's hair and that the crunchy hard look is really not becoming for him. So he did lighten up on the gel that day. And I think personally, it worked. She did my hair. That's what I'm trying to yeah. tell you, Gwen. Oh she did my hair for my first date. Uh-huh. And so That's awesome. I'm convinced because believe me, I think it is my hair is the only reason why my, my, my wife is still <laughs> married to me. Uh, that and I eventually grew a beard and she said, wow, you, you never shave the beard. You right? look it like that look. guy from True Blood. Right. Yeah. She's never said that to me, but other people have. But I, I am convinced that I would not be married to this day unless you did my hair that night, Joe. So yes, thank you. I, I, I'm forever in debt to you. Forever in debt to you. I did not allow you to walk out the door with crunchy hair. That is a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Rudy, I have to ask, how did you start emailing Kate in the first place? It's a whole other story. Okay. It's a whole other, we'll, we'll save that one for another show. She needs to be a guest. I did an episode with her. I'm going to have to, it's going to come out this summer, but it was last year when I was pregnant. I did, I started a series on how do you maternity. And I do have Kate in an interview that I'm going to release this summer, but because of COVID and everything, the topic switched to discussing things about COVID. So Kate is going to be on the show over the summer. Oh, good. But oh, it would also what? be cool to have her like pop by and Tell us a little bit about dating and just Rudy. Make fun of Rudy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I'm not can enough. Imagine. That'd be, that'd be, be, it'd be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Oh, one more thing I just wanted to pop in, which is interesting. There is a term that's becoming more popular called Henry. Have you two heard of that? No. no. What is it? High earners, not rich yet. Oh. So no, I, I haven't heard of that. Yes. You know, people have started to talk to the, talk about themselves as a Henry, right? High earners, not rich I yet. Have, I don't have assets yet, but I make a lot of money. What do I do? And, and those assets that they're speaking of are what? Are they talking about like a retirement account? Like Yeah, they don't estate? have much in the way of investments or real estate. So maybe, you know, just thinking of traditional jobs, right? They're now a lawyer and they're, they're making more than they've ever made in ever, or they just graduated from medical school and now they're making tons of money, but maybe they have hundreds and thousands of dollars in debt because of medical school, right? So high earners, not rich yet. That's a good point. Cause I think that there might be people who don't understand the difference between wealth and money and that they are two different things, right? Wealth encompasses your assets, how much how much value of all of those things as opposed to the money might just be the income. Income versus assets. So yeah, I, I have a lot of clients that confuse the two. It's like, well, there's income, that's the paycheck that comes in, mm-hmm. right? And then there's the actual assets that are sitting in your bank account or sitting in your investment account. And I guess wealth is is not about having lots of cash in the bank, bank, like hoarding your cash. It's about doing something with that cash so that it will grow 
So, and actually not having that much cash yeah. is, is, the key, is the key for many people that are wealthy. And I think the ones that are not don't know that. And they just sit on their pile of cash and think that this is the way to be. The only way that that works though, and you're right, I totally agree with you. Stockpiling cash and the way that inflation is going and, and, and the interest rates that you're getting, you're actually losing a ton of money. Definitely don't sit on cash. But the whole thing doesn't work unless you have excellent credit. Without excellent credit, that system of not having a ton of cash on hand, right? Because otherwise, if you don't have excellent credit, then you don't have a line of credit and you don't, you don't have a credit card or you don't have any way to access emergency funds. True. You, you could only, you, you, then you would have to sit on cash. So the most important thing out there for every listener, especially the student listeners, is take care of your credit. Mind your credit. Pay attention to your credit. Pay back every bill on time Start over for the rest month. of your life. What's yeah. that? Start over every month on those yes. credit cards if you can. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's the most important thing. That's the, if there's any piece of advice that anybody can take from this is never have a balance. Period. That's it. Only in those extreme cases where I was talking about where I had to take out, had to put this course on my credit card because I was investing in my future. You know, I knew eventually I was going to pay that back, but try never to have a credit card balance if you can avoid it. And if you have a credit card balance, try to get a 0% interest rate for at least an introductory period. Right. Joe, thank you so much. Second time on the pod. This was yeah. great. Yeah, this was fun. I love this. I could yeah, go on and on. You, we, you know what? We'll probably we'll probably have you back. I'm sure there's going to be. I think the future of finance, the future of investing, is going to be a huge topic. And, yeah, and things are going to be changing up and down, and we'll, we'll be focused on it, Joe. And we'd love to have you back. And you know, maybe I can come up with some more, you know, business names for you. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe. If you need any other lines of business, just call your marketing lawyer over here, and I'll take <laughs> I'll take care of you. That's awesome. And I'll link I'll link your business to the to the show notes so that people can get in touch with you. Yeah, that would be great. And I mean, I do actually think there's a lot of topics we didn't even hit on, like types of investments. So if you ever need a part two, we can talk about real I would estate, love that. Right? And investment portfolios versus cash. Um, I think that's great. Like even just some of the basic literacy, like what is a blue chip stock? Or like, what does the S&P 500 really mean? Or investing in foreign currency? Like I would love to have those details as well. So yeah, let's do, hey, we're going to do a part two. Yeah, like an, I decided. an investment, like an investment theme. Today I think it was more of like, Personal finance. Personal finance. Yeah. This is Personal Finance 101, and then the next episode will be How to Become Wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm on board. Fun. I'm on board. Investments 101. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Down. Thanks, okay, Joe. Joe. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to become a patron of the show, we're on patreon.com slash good is in the details, and we're on Instagram good is in the details pod or you can find us on facebook good is in the details pod okay i hope you're enjoying your summer i guess we're still wearing our masks and until next time bye